you have your Bible, join me in Matthew 18. We'll be in Matthew 18 this morning. Over the past several weeks, we have been looking at grace. We start off with the Ten Commandments. And we looked at the Ten Commandments in light of the good that they are for you and I and the grace that is in each and every one of them. Then we move to ten truths, ten principles about grace. And we've been looking at those for the last several weeks. We started off with the simple truth. Grace cannot be earned. It is given. And that before God gave the commandments, he started a relationship with Abraham. And by grace, through faith, we have our hope in heaven. And it is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. Then we moved on to the fact that grace is not reserved for good people. Grace underscores the goodness of God. That is so true. And it just shows how good God is. And that even in us, even in the fact that we think we are deserving, grace can't be earned. And therefore, grace underscores the goodness of God. We saw grace is never just enough. It is always far more than enough. Man, I'm so grateful for that. And I feel like the more I remind myself of that truth, the more I see grace in every aspect of my life. Grace is always far more than enough. Then we saw, fourthly, grace is always there when you need it most. When you think, I just can't take any more, then grace comes in. Discipline is often an expression of grace. And we saw how even in David's life, the discipline that God brought was to bring David back into fellowship with him. And because of the goodness of God, that grace can be revealed even in discipline. God looks for opportunities to extend grace. It is not as if God is holding back. He is looking for those opportunities. His desire is that we would move forward. And we saw that there is no limit. There is no end. Grace just keeps going. And as long as we have breath, we have opportunity for grace. As we come to Matthew 18, we're going to see another principle of grace that really involves us more than it does God. Join me in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, you probably have someone in your life who has stretched that seventy times seven. So we understand that it's just a principle, uh, but you've probably got somebody that you go, man, I know I've forgiven them more than five hundred times. Continuing on, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. So now, here's the picture. I want to give you a picture that the way God functions... And therefore, the way grace functions is as follows. There was a certain king which took account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there's always debate about the amount of money here. Uh, Some have said this is roughly $10 billion. A talent was generally considered a year's wage. So this would be 10,000 years wages. So this guy could never pay this debt back at this point. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. 
Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, at that moment, we see grace. This is just the goodness of the king being shown to this man. And this is how the kingdom of heaven works. It's like unto a king who has someone who owes him more than he could ever pay. And he says to him, out of my goodness, your debt's forgiven. We continue on. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him. Now, the hundred pence, again, probably more like a hundred days wages. Some would say about fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. The contrast is simple, and the principle of grace that we learn is so true. You see, receiving grace is often easier than dispensing grace. Receiving it is easier than dispensing it. Now think of it in light of this story. Here's this man. He owes more than he could ever pay. He's forgiven the debt. But because he feels the pressure to pay this debt back, he now goes to a man that he has loaned money to, hoping that he will get a return on his investment. And as he has loaned money to this man, he's not able to pay it back. So he takes this man and he throws him in prison, much as the king was going to do to him. But at this moment, he has an opportunity. He has just had grace dispensed on him in an unbelievably mighty way. And boy... Receiving that grace, whew, that had to feel good. But the problem is, in receiving that grace, he's still back at point one. He's still back at that first commandment that grace can be earned. So he thinks what has to happen is he has to continue to hold on to this grace by going and getting it back. But the principle is the debt was forgiven. Grace, it's been paid. And so this man comes and he, he tries to get that debt back because he believes he still owes something. It's logical. It makes sense, doesn't it? That, that he feels this pressure and he's thinking all he has to do is change his mind and I'm done. i got to get this money back. But in it, he fails to show the grace that he was more than willing to receive. And so he takes this man, he casts him into prison. And the picture is clear. The picture is our nature. We have been forgiven of our sins in Jesus Christ. We, we accept Christ as our Savior. We are forgiven a debt we could never pay. And therefore, whatever man owes us on this earth, we should forgive them. And that's the picture that the Lord's trying to teach here. Whether it's seven times, whether it's 70 times seven, there is no debt that compares to the debt that we were forgiven. There is no grace that we can show that compares to the grace we have been shown. But yet, at the end of the day, it's still so much easier to receive grace than it is to give. Last week, we were talking about how there on Palm Sunday, as we call it, that Jesus goes in and he goes there to the Last Supper. And at Passover, as he goes around the table at the Last Supper, he comes to Judas and we talked about how there's no limit to grace when you get down on your knee and you wash the feet of the man who is betraying you and you know it. 
At that table, there was grace shown to everyone. They get up and they leave that table and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. When they get there in the garden, the Lord has helped. He's even talked specifically with Peter. He has tried to encourage him. And they come to the place to where the Lord goes apart and he prays. As the Lord's praying three different times, he comes back to the disciples and says, Look, you hold fast, pray. Can you not even pray an hour? Look, there's temptation coming. You need to be ready for this. The moment comes when the soldiers walk in. As they break on the scene in John 18, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come unto him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? As he speaks to these soldiers, we know that they fall down. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Melchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink of it? It's a beautiful picture that happens here. In the upper room, the Lord shows grace to every one of his disciples by washing their feet. He teaches them a lesson of, look, don't lose fellowship with me. Stay close to me. Don't, don't let the sin of this world, the walking about of life, get you dirty. Stay clean. Stay close to me. Have that fellowship. And then, in just a few hours, they come in to take Jesus away. And he just simply says, I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. Let, let these go. You can take me. And Peter's response is not at all grace. At that moment, we all know this. We all know that when Jesus says, I am, it's showing the Jehovah covenant nature of his Godhead. And at this moment, as the men fall back, we see the power that Jesus had in his word to destroy every one of them. He needed absolutely no help. And yet Peter feels like he has to help. And Jesus actually, at the moment he says, I'm he, I'll go with you, shows grace that is beyond any of our comprehension. Because at that moment, the grace that Jesus shows and saying, I will go with you, is the grace that says, I am going to the cross. I am giving my life. You are not taking it. I am redeeming mankind for all of eternity. And in one word, he surrenders himself. It's the greatest moment of grace ever. And yet Peter, at this great moment of grace, pulls out his sword and whack, cuts off a guy's ear. And we look at it. We go, Peter, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And there's all kind of speculation about why is he here, you know. But, but Peter at this moment is reacting completely just like you and I do. We come to church. We talk about grace. 
We learn about it. We're encouraged about grace. We go, man, I am so grateful for grace in my life. And then we get out and we look and we go, oh, and we start cutting off ears, man. We just start whacking at people. And we just start showing absolutely no grace. Right now, in an earthly sense of grace, Kara and I are experiencing a great deal of it. We get to go up to the NICU every day, and we walk in, and we have now, through the course of our kids, had two stays in two different NICUs in two different states. The NICU there in Virginia was a very highly qualified, very academic, it was a, a wonderful place, it was the highest rated level NICU you can have, all those kind of things. But it wasn't nearly as personable. At this NICU, very skilled, very highly rated, but yet the nature is different. Now, one, we were at the other one for 17, 18 days. We've been here for like 40 days in this one. So we've gotten to know people better. But we go in, and they are so kind to us, and they are so nice to us. And if you will, the hospital itself is showing us grace at every turn, at every moment. The other day, we're up there, and a couple who just had a little girl comes in next to us and they're they're in their little area there and there's just a curtain that divides us off and so it's getting a little crowded so it's me Kara the twins and the other three and this small little spot has gotten very small so at this moment there's some things the nurses need to do with the girls so I'm like let me take our three and get out of the way so I do. I take them, and I do what any good dad does. I just start walking. Okay, so I just keep walking, and don't let them stand still so they don't get in trouble. So we're walking along. Well, I'm walking along, and I'm still same hospital, I'm walking along, and right outside this window is this huge PVC contraption that I can tell right away is a dunking booth. It's some kind of a homemade dunking booth, and so ever in pastoral mode, I'm thinking, man, we can use that and put Pastor Jared under that thing sometime. Uh, no, but I'm thinking we can use that thing at VBS or whatever. So I want to see this thing. So I go out, and it's on a sidewalk. It's not like it's back in some restricted area. I walk out the door. I walk right over on the sidewalk over to this thing, and I start taking pictures of it because I'm like, i got to build this thing. This thing's going to be great. And I'm looking, and then there's Justice with me, and Justice goes, what's this? And he points up, and he almost touches the little handle that knocks the bucket over, though there wasn't water in it or anything. It was just sitting there. Well, about the time he points up at the thing, some guy who works grounds there at the hospital who is apparently responsible for this comes around the corner and sees us. And he just goes off on us. I mean, he is obviously not having a good day. And I mean, he just lashes out at us. And my first response was not wanting to show grace. My first response was wanting to smart off right back at him. Because, you know, any parent, somebody starts yelling at your kid, and you're like, well, hang on, Skippy. We're okay here. Nobody's touching anything. I said, I'm just trying to take a picture of it so we could build one one day. And I mean, he is just a little irritated at me. And I'm going, well, if you don't want anybody around it, don't leave it on the sidewalk. All of us look at that and go, well, that's logical. But I've been receiving grace from them for 40 days. Another 42 days when Kara was in. So 80 days worth and in 8 seconds I'm willing to throw away all of that grace because of one person. Man. You see, we have to recognize that Grace is one of those things that's so easy to receive and so hard to dispense. 
Grace is what we crave most, but what we are hesitant to extend. I didn't want to extend grace at that point. I didn't want to be good to someone who I felt like was being rude to me. Was he being rude? The answer is yes. But no one would argue that, and no one at the hospital would argue it either. But does it matter? When God showed grace to me, was I being good to him? I owe 10,000 talents. I owe a debt that's so huge. God says, but I'm going to show you grace anyway. And look, I trusted in Christ as a child. I began my walk with the Lord at five years old. You go, well, how bad could you be at five years old? Well, in that little five-year-old was all the sin, ability of all mankind. And inside that little boy was still a sin nature that had a debt that could never be paid. And the reality is, here stands a pastor who has a sin debt that could never be paid by myself. And grace, man... I love the grace when it's being given to me. I love receiving it. And the truth is, I crave it. Man, it is so nice when people are good to you. It's so nice when people are kind. But yet, anytime somebody doesn't act just the way I think they should, I get hesitant to show that grace. I feel like if I show them grace when they're not treating me right, they win. Are you with me on that? Am I the only one? If someone's being ugly to me and I'm nice back to them, I feel like I'm letting them win. And I don't want to let them win. I want to win. <laughs> but in the end, who loses? Now, one thing I have learned, and it does help me a lot, is I have learned at those moments that if I try to win, my kids lose. Because they learn the same things and they learn the same attitude. Grace is saying, look, I want it in my life. And even though I don't want to give it to you, I know you need it as well. <clears throat> Dispensing grace is to apply the character of Christ toward a difficult situation. When situations get hard, when things don't go the way that I want them to, when things aren't easy, that's when you dispense grace. That's when you show the character of God. Now, let me ask you. In the life of Christ, as we know it in Scripture, in every situation, did Jesus Christ always show as the world would define grace? Was Jesus Christ always kind to everyone? Yes or no? No, he wasn't. But he was perfect and complete grace. So does grace mean that I always have to be kind to everyone? No, it doesn't. But how often was Christ not kind to everyone? Mainly it was one event. And most would believe it happened twice, but one event. And what was the one event? When he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. Why? Because at that moment, he was still perfectly grace. But he was perfectly grace to the people who were trying to get to God. And he was perfect righteous indignation 
towards those that were keeping people from God. So is there a time in which God's grace is not dispensed to everyone? It's just absolutely. If you go through life and you reject Jesus Christ, you don't accept him as your savior, and you come to a place to where your life ends, there is not grace at that moment. There is judgment. That's a terrible place. There are times in life when there are individuals who reject God, that God brings wrath in this life to them. So many times, even at that, it's grace trying to bring them to him. But what we have to understand is that there are times in our lives in which we can't show always kindness as the world defines it. But even at those moments when it's difficult, I am to look at it and see from the character of Jesus Christ himself how this should be handled and to show grace towards that. You all know the, the movement, the little bracelets that everybody had back 15, 20 years ago. The WWJD, and it's still kind of out there. And, and it was this big popular thing. But the reality is, if you go back, the book that was actually written about this about 120 years ago now, actually has some great truth to it. And it was just not a pop culture kind of a thing. In his steps was the idea of coming to a situation and looking at that situation and saying, instead of doing this from my own heart's desire, let me surrender to what Jesus Christ would have me to do at this moment. And grace is coming to that situation and saying, how can I show Christ through me at this moment? When we are the receiving end, when we're on the receiving end, grace is refreshing. When it is required of us, it is often disturbing. Now think about that for just a second. When we're on the receiving end, it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. But when we're on the dispensing side, it can be a little disturbing. Because it makes me uncomfortable. Because at that moment, I don't know how much to show. I don't know how much of myself to give. And my flesh is warring against my spirit at that moment. It's saying, you don't have to do that. My spirit's saying, oh, but you should do that. And this battle kind of ensues inside of me. And there's a struggle. And man, there are just times when I just, I don't know, I just don't want to be good to somebody. And I've got a good logical reason for it. I had a good logical reason to want his hundred pence back. Everybody could see it. It just made sense. But he'd already been forgiven. It didn't compare to the grace he had seen. Show the grace anyway. And the guy's going, but, but if I show him grace, then if this guy changes his mind, I'm in trouble. We don't go through the struggle and say, but if I show him grace, and if God changes his mind and doesn't forgive me, then I'm in trouble. Now, we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. We know that we are forgiven, and we get eternal. It's not temporal. It lasts for eternity. But here's what we do think. If I show him grace, what if God doesn't then take care of me? And we may not even say it like that. 
But we think, man, I know they have a need, and I want to meet that need, but I really want this. And if I give them that money, and then I've got this need. Man, you, Pastor John Allen, he gets up here and he talks about all this stuff over in Papua New Guinea, and I see these needs all around the world. But I think if I give towards that, then, then what about my... And you fill in the blank. It, and we just have this heart idea that I like it when grace comes to me. But it's a little disturbing to think that I'm going to extend myself and show grace here. And I'm just not sure I can trust God to take care of that. Now, we wouldn't say it that way, but it is the reality of how we behave. Jonah never got this. Jonah wanted grace. Jonah wanted God to be good to him. Jonah wanted out of the whale's belly. Jonah wanted Israel delivered. But what Jonah didn't want was for Nineveh to be delivered. He didn't want their freedom. He wanted his. They had been bad to his country, and he wasn't willing to show them grace. And so God goes, and he says, look, there's tens of thousands. I don't know their left hand from their right hand. They need grace. Go and preach to them. And and later on, the Lord would send other prophets to preach to Nineveh, and they wouldn't repent. But this half-hearted, worthless almost prophet goes in. And he goes in and just barely says anything. And he has no heart about it. And he gets angry about it. And he goes and he tells them that Jesus wants to save them. He goes in and he tells them that God wants to restore them in fellowship with him. And they repent. And they turn. And they come back. In Jonah chapter 4 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Why is that a bad thing? I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. God, I would rather you kill me than show grace to them. And I knew you were going to do it. We look at that and we go, man, Jonah, you got a problem, bud. Don't we? I I hope there's not, but all things being equal, there would be several in here who would have a person in your life. The truth is, you don't want God to show them grace. And the reason is, in your mind, they don't deserve it. And if you told the story to everyone in here, they still wouldn't deserve it. Nobody would agree that, yeah, they deserve grace. Everybody would look at them and say, no, they don't. None of it didn't. There's no question about it. They were terrible. They were mean. They were evil people. They did not deserve grace. But God wanted to give it to them. So Jonah, you go tell them. And they repent. And they turn. And God spares the nation. And Jonah's so angry about this. God, I knew you would do it. I knew you were merciful. I knew you would show them kindness. They don't deserve it. And at this moment, who's more righteous? Jonah, the prophet of God, or the wicked Ninevites? 
at this moment, the reality is the Ninevites have accepted the grace. And they are in better fellowship with God than Jonah is. And the truth is, Jonah says, I'd rather die. God could have obliged. He could have said, okay, Jonah. But instead, what does God do to Jonah? He shows him grace. He brings the gourd along just to give him shade. The gourd goes away. Jonah gets angry again. But it's just to get another picture of Jonah, don't you see? I can give you grace. I can take grace away. And don't you rather have grace? So show them that grace. We go through life frustrated. Because we don't want to show grace because we've never truly gotten a hold of grace. You see, grace is never shown properly until it is experienced perfectly. Most of the time, when you come into conflict with a person and you don't want to show them grace, here's the reason why. It's a simple reason. You think you're better than they are. You just do, in whatever level. It can be an employee at a store, and you think, I don't know how they ever got a job. That person should not be allowed out of their house. Somebody in a car, take their driver's license away. They never need to drive again. I'm obviously a better driver than they are. Somebody who's ugly to you? I've never treated anybody like that. It, and instantly, we just think we're better than they are. And hey, by the world's addition system, aren't you? I mean, honestly, in your mind, aren't you? Please, I know I'm not the only one who has walked in and encountered somebody one day and go, I'm definitely smarter than they are. <laughs> Have you not done that? Have you not gone, man, I know I'm a better employee than they are. Man, if I worked like that, I'd never get a job. I had a buddy who used to go, that's what you get for four and a quarter an hour. Minimum wage has gone up since then. But the reality is, we, we treat people like that because we think we're better. You see, grace doesn't work. It's not shown properly by us until it's experienced perfectly in us. When it comes to my righteous standing with God, I got nothing. I got nothing. Any ability I have is God-given ability, and it can be taken away. There are probably most of you in here who are certainly 30 years of age and older. You would say, man, when it comes to kids, get them to memorize their Bible verses now, because when you get to my age, it doesn't work anymore. How many of you have said something to that effect, or at least believed something like that? Let me see your hands. Go ahead, be honest. Raise your hands this morning. Raise your hands, raise your hands. So that's at least half of us in here, if not more. And I see two hands over there. The truth is, the ability we were so good at when we were this big, we're not so good at now. Why? It's part of the curse on this world. There's a lot of explanation. But the reality is, any ability I have can be taken away just like that. Justice was asking me some questions yesterday. And he was asking me questions about someone whose legs didn't work and why their legs didn't work. 
And I explained to him, I have a cousin who, when he was 18 years old, dove into an above ground swimming pool. He hit his nose on the bottom of the swimming pool and it broke his neck. I believe it was C4. Um, and so he lost use of his, mostly his arms and his legs. And so I was trying to explain that to him. And then I, I thought about something. I thought, well, for justice, this will make good sense. I said, but there was a movie made a lot of years ago. And the guy in the movie played Superman. And he was this big, strong guy. And he was Superman. And everybody knew him as Superman. I said, one day he fell off a horse and he broke his neck. And he ended up not being able to walk anymore. And justice was just, you mean, so his little neck, just that could do it? I said, yeah, but that, that can do it. He goes, was he really Superman? No, he wasn't really Superman. I said, he just played the part, but he was this big, strong guy. And just one little injury took that away. Ah, and he's trying back there to process it in his mind. But it is such a great picture of the fact that we can go from Superman in our own eyes to not able to do anything we used to be able to do. And the fact that you're here today, whatever capacity physically, is but by the grace of God. Amen. And when I recognize that every moment I have is but by the grace of God, everything that I do in my life that is biblically correct is but by the grace of God. Every aspect of my life and the place that I am at, at any moment, is by the grace of God. And when I get to the place to where it's perfect in me, and I recognize I got nothing, it's a lot easier to show grace. Because all of a sudden, I'm not better than you. Maybe I've enjoyed a little more grace than you have in some areas. But I'm not better than you. Grace is slow to judge and quick to deliver. When people around me mess up, I default to the opposite. Grace is slow to judge and quick to deliver. Let me help you get... Now, look, it's not, as a parent, taking away the consequences. It is not trying to, to get and enable. That's not what I'm talking about. Grace says I'm slow to judge, especially when it's involving the way I'm treated, and I'm quick to deliver. I'm quick to help you get out of this situation and to grow from it. But, man, when it happens to me... I like to default to the opposite. I like to be quick. Quick to judge and slow to deliver. You ever like to put somebody on the hot seat and let them squirm a little bit? It's our sin nature. It's not grace. Grace says the exact opposite. And now here's where I want you to think as we finish up this morning. The local church is God's vehicle for dispensing the message of grace. God ordained the church. It was his plan, not ours. And if grace is so important to God, and grace is an aspect in which we reveal God and we show God, and we dispense grace freely, then shouldn't the church be defined by grace? I make mistakes regularly. I made a mistake this past week involving the church. And at the end of it, I hated that I made the mistake. But I made the mistake erring on the side of grace. 
And if I'm going to make a mistake on one side, I want to make the mistake on being gracious. And it made it a little tricky for me. And it didn't affect anybody in this room. And yet, at the end of the day, if the local church is the place that God has ordained and we carry the message of grace, then the church is most appealing when the message of grace is most apparent. We've got to be careful with this. Our background as a church, our, our circles, if you will, as a church, tend to run from grace. There's no need for that. There's no need to be scared of grace. Grace is not license. We looked at that Wednesday night. It is not a license to sinfulness. No, grace is the exact opposite. Remember, because many times God uses discipline to show grace, to help get us back, because grace ultimately wants what's best for us, not what is free, not what is cheap, not what is easy. So as a church, we have to be determined to show grace. And in showing grace, we are looking out for the good of others, and we are trying to help bring them into a closer walk with God. And when grace is apparent in a church, then the church is on mission for what God called us to do. When grace disappears from the church, then the church is off mission. You have been in a church, probably, that had no grace. You've walked in the doors. You've been in there and you go, man, I ain't coming back to this place. How many times has someone run into you, the church, it's not a building, it's you, and been in a situation with you, and they go, man, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. Because there's no grace there. You see, the walls don't matter. But when we, the church, get a hold of the fact that we work best when grace is most apparent, whether inside or outside these walls, then we're accomplishing what God has called us to accomplish. Look, grace is easy to receive. How are you doing in dispensing? You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At hbcga.org or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.